Hello, listeners. Polygon supervising video producer Simone here. Uh, Brianna is at an event in Washington, D.C., and Christina is sick this week. So it was just me. And then I was like, well, shoot. I I can't talk to people all alone for a whole hour. So what we're going to do is we're going to release this emergency episode that Brianna and I prepared recording a while ago. Um, I don't remember much of what we talked about, but she gave me like a fireside chat kind of scenario and asked me some questions about my life. And then I freaked out because uh, I was being asked to talk about myself. And that's very scary. Um, However, that is the episode you're going to hear today. We are going to talk about the new iPhones, which actually I will just briefly before we get into the episode, since you're here and you're my listeners, I set up my new iPhone 15 today. Um, I did end up getting the basic model. I did like a T-Mobile trade in um, and I cannot tell you how exciting it is to have a smaller phone, like just holding the two phones as I was watching my data meticulously transfer between them. Um the new phone feels so good and the brightness and crispness and colors of the screen feel so much more vivid to me, which rules. So you'll probably hear me talk about that on next week's show. Of course, the bad news is that I did first thing test it in all of my little vintage cute purses and it still doesn't fit. I think I would need like a mini or an SE to do that, but that is fine I will live. It's just nice to have a nice small light phone and not one whose battery will drop down to 40% uh, on my commute. So, you know, no more danger of my phone turning off in the middle of the night in New York City. Anyway, so what you're going to hear today is a fireside chat. We recorded that before we had a bonus segment for our subscribers, our beloved boosties who signed up at relay.fm slash membership and get an ad-free show and a bonus segment every week. What I'm going to do for you guys, this is interesting. Uh, Hopefully it's okay that I'm doing this. So I wrote a script for Polygon about fishing in video games relating to Ernest Hemingway's work. And I think what I'm going to do for our bonus segment is I'm just going to read this script to you. Um, My boss read it and thought it was too boring to be a video, Um, but it's not too boring for you guys. Wait, I'm not selling this. Shoot, you're paying money for this. (laughs) My beloved boosties. Listen. I think it's really interesting. It's got quotes from Hemingway's work in it. It's got descriptions of fishing and like relating the meticulousness of fishing in video games to the way that Hemingway describes things. So I think you'll like it. Um, Please do stay and listen. And thank you so much for supporting the show. We'll be back with a normal show next week um, talking about both the Amazon versus FTC uh, trial that is popping off, which obviously I'm super excited, if not optimistic about, and uh, the new iPhones. So thank you so much, everybody. Without further ado, let us get into this emergency fireside chat episode of Rocket. All right, listeners. So uh, welcome to Rocket. You may not know this, but every single week, it is a swear to God miracle this show gets made. <laughs> it is every single week. It is like the Starship Enterprise being on self-destruct and you think everybody is going to die. That's how close we come to not shipping a show many weeks. Simone, am I wrong about that? You are not wrong, Brianna Wu. 
what we wanted to do uh, about that is this is uh, this this is basically our uh, emergency backup show. This is a show that we wanted to do. Uh, it's evergreen, so we're not going to be covering news this week. Uh, but we did. I I wanted to do something special with you, Simone. Um, Ooh. So. I consider you a very good friend. Like if I was in jail or accused of a serious crime, you would be one of the very first people that I would call. But at the same time, I feel like I don't know a lot of things Uh about you. What a scary way to set up a show. (laughs) (laughs) No, Are you okay? Do you need help? Do I have to call someone? (laughs) What I wanted to do is just sit down and I wanted to do the interview with De Rochefort. <gasps> I want to sit down and spend an entire episode asking you questions. I want to know about your life. I want to know things about you. I want to understand you better. Uh-oh. So that is the mystery show that I have planned today. <gasps> Yay! <laughs> Talking about myself? <laughs> is it is it awkward? Is this because this is something I've noticed about you is, you know, I it's it's really interesting because you have like 10% of that drama girl streak in you, but you don't have <laughs> the, you you have like the theater kid love of performing, but you don't have that like incessant need to have people look at you that goes with so many parts of that. Is that uncomfortable for you? It's because I'm a construct and inside me there's a swarm of bees. <gasps> what do you mean by that? Like bees, like anxiety? No, I mean literal bees. Little like bees. I, I'm a, I'm a synthoid shell, and inside me, when I open my mouth, if you look very, very closely <laughs> in the back of my throat, you'll just see a swarm of bees. I'm just there bees. bees back there. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Don't look too close. So, so tell me, like, what was your childhood like? Do you have, do you have brothers? Do you have sisters? Where did you grow up? Ah. <laughs> uh, my my well here's something about me yeah i have i don't form very concrete memories really i had a, a very i forget a lot of things oh. I, like when i so recently i was listening to the book at home in the world by joyce maynard um and she is a very successful writer she initially achieved fame like global <laughs> nationwide fame when she was 18 because she was at Yale and she had this piece published in the New York Times uh, called An 18-Year-Old Looks Back on Life. And uh, looking back on this as, you know, an adult who has had three children, she thinks this article is very, like, smug and full of itself and, like, from uh, from a perspective that only an 18-year-old could possess, right? Like, writing your memoirs and speaking for your generation at age 18. Uh, But that's kind of what it was about was what her experiences were like being born in 1953 um, and growing up during the 60s. And in it and in the book as a whole, she is so she has such firm memories of conversations that happened during her childhood and pivots in her life, like points where she remembered things changing for huh. her. And obviously, like, part of that, she explains in the uh, afterward of the book, like, the conversations obviously aren't word for word. They're sort of reconstructed to the best of her abilities. But she still has this incredible ability to remember such specific things that happened to her. 
And every time I encounter an author writing with that that power of memory, it's just stunning to me because I I I don't know that I could do it. I just do not possess the ability to remember <laughs> specific it, it things that happen. Flashes? Is it emotions of what happened? I definitely I mean, don't remember is, emotions. Yeah. I don't remember yeah. any emotions. Um, it it. Maybe if I sat down and thought about it, I would have more memories. Um, but in in general, no. Or and the ones that I have feel very inconsequential. Uh, I I was very happy growing up. I had a happy and oblivious childhood. I have one brother. He's three years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we grew up in Washington State and then moved to France when I was fifteen and lived there for two years and then came back to Washington State. Uh, where I continue to live until I moved to New York City. So who were you in high school? Like, what was your Horrible. Was your I was role? horrible. Everyone horrible? was horrible in high school. Well, I hate thinking back to that. Bad. I was such a little brat. So I, so you were, were you one of the popular girls? Were no, you, were you I was kid? a, I, I would describe myself as a theater kid. I yep. was a self-assured, smart-ass nerd. Um, I have to this day a very solid group of friends uh, that I was friends with in, you know, middle school through high school. Um, and my school was weird. There wasn't, there were people there who I would describe as quote unquote popular, but our class was so small, you know, there were only a hundred people in our class and we were one of the biggest graduating classes of, you know, (laughs) that of recent history in that school. Um, like we were famously big. There were a lot of us, 100 whole people. Um, so the, there wasn't so much, it wasn't so stratified in that way. Like there were certainly people that I was not and remain not close to, but no one that I, I think would have thought of as like above or below me, if that makes sense. Right. So you, it it seems to me you have, there are some people that really thrive. They have this beautiful ability I will never have in a million years. This ability is the artistic ability to like make these loose associative connections and, and believe in them and really sell these ideas. Like the bees thing at the beginning. I'm, I'm far bees. too literal and, and, mission focused uh, a personality which is a, a weakness of mine you have that my husband certainly has that what what but i also have to imagine it must be kind of lonely sometimes like feeling like you you meet people that can kind of connect with that part of you is it is that accurate or or what is that like for you i feel like i have been very lucky to possess at least the ability to make conversation with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me, I think is, I mean, you very, you very astutely nailed me <laughs> at the beginning of this show by pointing out like I, I am loud and performative Um and certainly, like like when I'm on this podcast, I'm quite loud and performative. I w- that's not inaccurate to who I am as a person, but it's certainly like 
an amplified version of myself. Um, I find that in conversations, I, I don't necessarily want to have a thousand deep connections. I like it. A, a successful interaction for me, it, if I can go to a party and engage someone in conversation about themselves <laughs> and ask them like a, a, bazillion questions about their life and be able to keep the conversation going in that way. Because I feel like when I talk about myself, it doesn't feel relevant. You know, it doesn't feel interesting. So (laughs) I think that's why you're selling yourself short. I really do. Thank you. But yeah, I, you know, so one of the things is like when I ran for Congress, I literally shook tens of thousands of hands. I have met tens of thousands of people. And I I mean this, like you're you you really are one of the most unique, interesting people that I know. And I think you should I think you should appreciate that about yourself. Um you. yeah I feel to briefly add on to briefly continue talking about myself. <laughs> I, I feel like it, it it is a reaction, I think, to a bad habit that I genuinely do have. Like I, I, I am a rambler and I know there have been times when I've just talked to talk and felt like it has been annoying or irrelevant. And that's why I find it hard to, to find those moments where talking about myself is relevant um, or to feel like the moment is relevant. You know, it's not that I don't, enjoy talking about myself as a blanket statement and it's not that I don't form memories as a blanket statement but I have a lot of pressure or I have a lot of difficulty uh sussing out the the moments when that's relevant in conversation yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah something I've noticed about you and something I really appreciate about you is you have a real moral giving streak like I like you're someone that when it comes to the state of the world we live in you you're very concerned about things um you, you do a lot of charity things I really you're making admire. me look really good no I mean it like the, the other I may run a pack but I don't spend my weekends donating blood and that's just something you do automatically and I really admire you for that the part of you I've never quite been able to understand is we live in a world, myself included, where people are are spouting off political ideas everywhere on social media. Again, hyper guilty of this. I think I would describe your your public presence as somewhat subdued when it comes to that. But I know that you you feel these things very deeply. I mean, I know how much you care. And I, I like, is that part of the French part of you, just kind of being uncomfortable with grand statements publicly? I know the French is love it, grand yeah. public statements. <laughs> well, where does that come from? I've always wondered that. I, my thing is just, I like, I, I spent that whole year, all those years in college, as everyone does, making a lot growing into myself and coming up with a lot of opinions and learning a lot about the world and being loud about those things online, which I think was the way that people of our, my generation certainly uh, came into the world and came into their political consciousness. And I realized just a few years ago, even it, I, 
I wrestle with it a lot for myself, mm-hmm. from my personal perspective. I don't it it does not make sense. I think that there are a lot of people who are better educated than me, um, who have more experience than me, who are <laughs> smarter than me, who can put their opinions online. Um, I am a video maker. I make silly, silly videos. Um, and that's not to discredit that because as, as many people have said over the course of my very, very silly career, like that's important. It makes people feel good. But I think that it is a huge mistake for content creators to conflate, um, visibility with needing to say something right do something certainly um or amplify other people saying something but i think that for me thinking like okay it's my time to crack my knuckles sit down and come up with my 10 tweet thread on what i think about x i think that's totally wrong and i i certainly in the context of twitter there are situations I think when it can be very important to speak out about certain issues. I really waffle on whether, especially for someone like me, who is a a person like I I'm white, I'm very privileged. There are certain topics where maybe if I, if I feel like it's my time to speak out on this, maybe it shouldn't be in like a little tweet thread. Maybe it should be something more substantial. Um, Maybe it should be something that would have a greater impact. Maybe it should be something that is accompanied by a financial donation, something like that. Um, And I, I, but I mean, I don't think everyone needs to be a loudmouth on Twitter about politics all the time. Like, I certainly made a career choice, right? Like, for good and for bad, right? Like, I have strong opinions and is open some doors for me, is closed other doors for me, right? but this is me being my genuine self. And, you know, cause I grew up in Mississippi. I saw so much oppression and just for me personally, like silence doesn't feel authentic. Like something that's really important for me personally is to live an authentic life where I'm being myself and being true to my values. Mm-hmm. Not to say I'm not flawed sometimes in the way I express that, but that is the core mission objective. I don't think everyone has to be that way, though. I think that is something I really yeah. admire about you. Actually, is that I you have an ability to put into words those feelings, and to do it in a way that, at least from my perspective, it feels genuine and heartfelt, and also not I don't know, not like shining the spotlight on oneself in a way. Right. Yeah. Whereas I, I, and it, and it sort of, it, it fits in with your life. Whereas I feel like for me, making public statements like that would be a, an off ramp. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, this is when I think about what is, what is your teleological purpose, right? What is, what is the essence of who you are? I, I don't like seeing you like kind of dismiss your videos as, as silly. I, for me, especially as someone who's run for Congress, mm-hmm. um, there are ways to get credibility with people. I've tried to get credibility in my life by being a, a serious, focused person, mm-hmm. right, that has credibility that way. 
you have a likability about you that comes through in those videos, an ability to put people at ease that I really admire about you. And when I'm thinking about like what your teleological purpose is in life, I think drawing people in with these delightful, almost logic puzzles you put out <laughs> to people, I, I, I think it's, it's, I wish I had a less cheesy word to use for it, but it's very joyous to watch. I love your videos. And I, I think that's why it's so sick. It's so fulfilling for me to see you just doing exactly what you were meant to do here, if that makes sense. It's really nice to hear that uh, that energy being framed as positive. I, I really appreciate <laughs> that, actually. Thank you. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, what was what was something that happened to you that you went through? that really changed who you were as a person? What was something really difficult that you went through? You know what? Increasingly, and this is going to be a surprise answer for you, considering what we just talked about. (laughs) I'm beginning to think that my parents' divorce had more effect on me than I previously (laughs) thought. (laughs) I don't, you know, my parents got divorced when I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been very chill about that. Um, here's my fatal flaw. Here's my fatal flaw, Brianna. <laughs> Confess I, everything. I have a lot of trouble uh, talking about things that I think might engender sympathy in others. Hmm. So um, when my parents got divorced, I didn't tell anyone and here's again here a memory is surfacing i remember i was hanging out at my friend taylor's house and we were just like chilling i think doing like a crossword puzzle or something or like a trivia game and her mom came in and was like oh simone i heard about your parents i'm so sorry and i was like crap i haven't told taylor yet <laughs> i haven't told anyone and i think i, I at the, that's and i was like oh by the way my parents are getting divorced um And then I just kind of left it up to her to tell anyone else if she wanted to. Um, Last March, my uncle died and Mm -hmm. I didn't tell anyone. (laughs) Because you were were afraid that would engender sympathy in other people? Uh, Yeah, I didn't want people to be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Which I don't know why that is annoying to me. And it's not like I, I should just put up with the discomfort of it. But it was like, you know, I'd rather just not have the conversation about it. So I'm just not going to tell anyone about it. Um, oh. there, That is one of three deaths in my family that I haven't <laughs> told anyone about. It's an epidemic, Brie. Yeah. <laughs> and I've probably told you guys because, like, I record a podcast with you every week. And, like, when I – I think when I went to my grandmother's funeral, I had to tell you guys. I didn't tell anyone else. I didn't tell, you know, my friends. I didn't – tell my dad i think i let someone else tell him um this wasn't his own mother by the way this is my mom's mom um because i just i hate it's all the same conversation and i especially hate doing it over text message i hate having those conversations because like it's going to be the same thing every time and you have to take the time to reply to it again this is speaking as the person who's bereaved not the person who's saying i'm so sorry you're bereaved sure. i i hate it it sucks uh so i would Do rather it. just not have the conversation 
Maybe, and tell me if this is this is the same thing, but I mean, you may have noticed when we record this podcast every week, I don't talk a lot. Like I talk about what's going on with me professionally, but yeah, I don't, like I literally don't talk about my childhood or mm-hmm. or things like that because it's so, it was so incredibly traumatic to the mm-hmm. point where I had to spend years pulling it apart. And it's like, it's like, opening that door for people, especially people I don't know really well, it it has a real cost. And I worry about putting uh, like a face to the world that people are going to like. Like, yeah, like yeah. Christina, a really good example. You know, she's talking about, you know, she is her sister giving birth. She's really taking a lot of joy in that. For me, that brings up, you know, this feeling of, I, I've lost two sets of parents. My mm. first set of parents threw me away when they gave me up for adoption. My other set of parents uh, disowned me when I came out, right? Yeah. And it it brings up all this. It brings up something that's really uncomfortable to show people. So I kind of hold it back, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I will not flip this concept around and do the <laughs> same one on you. <laughs> We'll have a bonus show talking about Bree's future. Oh, gosh. Yes, yes. No, I mean, I've grown to be comfortable with that. I mean, part of being 40 is you you have to like who you are, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to... You have to know your faults and 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 know what's good about you. Like, and I think that's a lot of the glory of getting older that we we don't talk about. And it's it's absolutely magical, to be honest. Yeah, the don't give an f forties and fifties. It's not so much that uh, you do not give an f. That's true. But if you've done life right you have i think there's a really big difference in people that live life with introspection and people that don't mm-hmm. right like did i handle that situation right did i do this right you know if i did gamergate over again today i would do a lot of things very differently because i've i've thought about that a great mm-hmm. deal a lot of people don't have that but if you do have that trait I think by the time you get older, it gives you a, a grander perspective on things and in yourself, mm-hmm. if if that makes sense. And I think also, I mean, this is probably something that you feel and are good at as well. I think that there is no obligation to live your full life for the public's consumption. Yes. And I feel very strongly about that. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, I, I think that I, I don't think that that is, I, you know, going back to Meghan Markle, what she said uh, in that interview, uh, which was if I show one photo of my son, you don't get to ask for a, the other hundred I have on my phone. I'm showing right. you this one. It's what I want to show you. And I, I, I feel like a lot of the time, especially on social media, there's this climate of like share everything and almost an implication that if you're not sharing or like if you're keeping something back for yourself, it's a lie, which is something I just fundamentally disagree with. Like privacy is important. Yeah. Both in your hardware and software (laughs) and in your life. (laughs) I, I definitely think you can live an authentic 
life. And and what I mean by authentic is being yourself, you know, expressing your emotions, living true to your values, but being selective and thoughtful about how and when you you say things Mm -hmm. and which parts of yourself you express to the public. I mean, I spend a a great deal of time thinking about that. Um, So I definitely agree with that. I, I wanted to talk more about like you as someone who... At your core, you strike me as someone that needs to be creating things to be happy. I mean, is that is that right? Like, do you do you have that part of you? Yes. Uh, so, so <laughs> I mean, what are what are your really big career goals? Do you ever see yourself like moving over to maybe the indie side of the game dev industry? Do you? I want to like, make what, uh, yeah. movies and TV. You want to make movies and TV? Tell yeah. me about that. Yeah. I think what I what I like so much about video production, I like I love editing. I increasingly love like conceptualizing videos and mm-hmm. um just thinking through that and I don't really want you know making games is something I I toyed with in college. Um and we had a very rudimentary sort of game design of, of some classes scattered here and there. And I I was attracted to the idea at the time. Um, and I've just increasingly come to realize, like, that's not just not the path for me. Um, I think if it had been something I were genuinely interested in, it's something I would have done, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love writing when I love writing and I love, you know, talking to people and being on set and, um, just making, making images. And I, I think very visually, uh, when I'm writing, which is a detriment, (laughs) but good for, (laughs) good for the work that I do. Um, do you, do you know what I really appreciate about your work in the video game industry? Um, it really feels like when it comes to video game content, we in general produce a product that is highly optimized for SEO, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, hey, like angry dude telling you the 10 reasons, uh, I don't know, Mass Effect trilogy remake has, is screwing the consumer, right? Like, like it's, or here are the top 10 uh, graphical Comp- uh, comparisons between a PS5 version of something and an Xbox version of something. Mm-hmm. What I appreciate about your work is I know when I click on a Simone video, it's almost like a puzzle that I'm unwrapping because the the concepts on their 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 face are not. You know, it's not obvious. Like, hey, look at this preview, or hey, here's a speed run of this game. It's like, hey, here's a kind of weird topic you may have not ever thought about. And then you start unwrapping this story and telling it in such a a weird way that just taps into something really emotional. And it is it's like opening a present every time I watch your videos. And I think that's, I think that's a real skill that I don't see elsewhere in the game industry. Thank you so very, very much. That's something that we like, we work really hard at that on the team with like our 
our ideation process and our pitching process and our table read process, like it, it's all kind of going towards making ideas that are are not just like, yeah, here here is our tech preview. Here is our review, which like are important things, but it's just not it's not what we excel at um, on our team. And it's not what we really want to do. And also there are a bunch of people that are already doing it really well. So why play in that space? Um but yeah, yeah, it, it, I, I think it's probably the most challenging part of this job. And the thing that I, I think I most struggle with is that pitching process of explaining like this idea gets me really excited and justifying to other people <laughs> why it's actually a good idea. <laughs> um, which like with, with the Neopets video, that's one of the reasons that I am so happy with that video is because I feel like there are definitely videos that I've pitched that are still on the drawing board now because I I didn't get them greenlit, which is fine. I generally with that will, you know, feel that initial, you know, creative professionals anger of like, but my idea is good. But then there have definitely been projects where like I have gotten it greenlit and then been like, oh, no, there actually wasn't anything here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I really appreciate that part of it because it, it does make you think think a little bit harder about what you're doing but with the neopets project one of the reasons that was so stressful but also so rewarding is that i really 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 was sure from conception through scripting through editing that i knew what i was doing was good <laughs> and that people would care about it um and you know the, the there the concerns, the very valid concerns that were raised were like, what are you going to do for visuals for this? Because this is a very old website. Um, and yeah, it took me a really friggin' long time and working through a couple weekends and pulling a lot of late nights to make those visuals work. Valid concern. So worth it. Um, and then like, there are a few dramatic reenactments in it. Um, and initially, like, I was asked at a point, like, do you what why are these here do you need these um and i i fought very hard for them and they make the video fun and weird and i'm so 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 glad that they made it in and some did get cut because there were too many and it was too long and the crit critique was correct um but there were there were parts of that video that i think are just so special because of because i was able to keep those in and they were really part of my vision um and it's not every project that I feel like that on. So when you're when you're doing stuff like that, like where I mean, what are your favorite kinds of stories? Like I don't know about you, but like I feel like one of my big problems in my career is I'm so passionate about so many things. It's like picking a direction sometimes is is hard, right? Like mm -hmm. I've wanted to produce like a Danganronpa style visual novel uh, for years now, and that's like it's a siren song. It keeps coming back to me. For you, like what are some of the the projects you're you're kind of toying with or thinking about like other than obviously your great work for polygon what are what are like professional goals that you're interested in mm, i uh like in like far future far future just whatever or just whenever. yeah uh, gosh i can't wait to like talk about the project that i'm working on now um <laughs> <laughs> you know what okay here's here's my freaking goal I, I have tried to pitch this 
three times, Brianna. I mm-hmm. want to make a video about fishing in video games. Okay. And why it's so good. I have pitched three separate versions of what this video could be and none of them gets through and i don't i don't know what to do <laughs> how do you Why feel about fishing video game fishing so surprisingly satisfying so oddly satisfying boom there's your video i tried it <laughs> well they're too strong <laughs> how do you I, feel I don't about know fishing who didn't grin like that but they're wrong <laughs> tell me tell me about your feelings about video game fishing Ah, more of this about you, but I feel like um, I just need fresh energy. I need fresh blood, please. Sure, why not? Uh, I feel like for video game fishing, uh, so much of video game dynamics are very, very high stakes, right? Like live, die, figure out a puzzle, fail the puzzle. Uh, video game fishing is generally this kind of lower stakes relaxing activity that you can kind of get into a groove at. When I was running for Congress, uh, I did literally thousands of hours of call time. I would sit here and have Final Fantasy XIV open and work my fishing class to keep grinding it because it was just this relaxing, satisfying gameplay loop. So I think it is, I think it's fun because it brings in the uh, the the has the tactics of video games without the stress of video games. Yes, I I think that is very true, and it always like it, it's always a way to take a breath, but also engage with a different kind of tension. Like there there's always that element. Uh, there was a great piece that I was reading, I think on. Uh, Game of Sutra um, about basically how fishing games have kind of been codified where mini games specifically, this is speaking specifically of mini games, not about the like bass fisher simulator 3000, but there's always the cast and then you wait. And sometimes you get a visual cue of like, there is a fish there. You're good. Sometimes you just have to sit there and wait. Um, And then after that, like long pause, there's the tease and that tease where like the fish is nibbling. But if you, if you press the button, no, no, no too soon, my friend. And so that immediately takes you from just like, Oh God, I've cast my line. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm wondering, but I'm, I'm also enjoying like the music or the ambient weather or the scenery or what have you, like you have nothing else to do. (laughs) And then suddenly you're snapped back into that moment of, oh, the game needs me and I need to focus on this and there's a tease, maybe there's two, maybe there's three, maybe there's a really hard, like, pull on the line, but it's not the one yet. Um, and you <laughs> so just your have to... long-term career goal is to make a fishing video. Yes! Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can talk, it's the you. only opportunity for me to talk about Ernest Hemingway yep. on Polygon.com. So that was one of my questions. Yeah, you talk about Ernest Hemingway uh, a lot. And, you know, I uh, overwhelmingly have thought of Hemingway as a very male author and kind of, uh, kind of problematic in a few ways. What is it about him that just really ignites a, a, a chord with you? What, what drives that passion? Ah, I think initially it was reading... Um, I read this book, uh, which was a biography of Max Perkins, uh, who was the editor to 
Hemingway and Scott Fitzgerald um, and I, I think Willa Cather too. Multiple Tom Wolfe, uh, the big names of mid-century writing. Um, and I read that biography, which was about Perkins, but Hemingway was obviously a peripheral character in it. And every time he popped in, it would be with this like incredibly dramatic letter or this feud that he's having with someone or this incredibly over the top situation that he appeared in. And just like almost as a as a character, not as a person, I was just fascinated because when you're reading a biography and everyone died like 50 years ago, it's like, ha, none of you people are real. <laughs> um, and it was just enjoyable to read about him in this way. And uh, I started just reading more of his letters and kind of getting to know him on those terms and then reading his books. And I just loved uh, loved the dichotomy that I found there of this person who was, as you pointed out, very macho and, you know, performing a lot of masculinity in the world and um, being misogynist and racist, etc., um, combined with this other person who showed great sensitivity and incredible powers of observation and charisma and humor and for me, it was, it felt like <laughs> I crafted this world in which I was the only one who understood him. Because I think you do, he's a very polarizing figure. You have people who think of him as this like stoic, untouchable man's man who never had a feeling. You have people who think of him as, you know, that same thing, but negatively as like, this is a, a worthless woman hating piece of trash who needs to be like thrown out. I don't think either of those, I, I, I think that that polarization of Hemingway is uh, something that happened during his life. Even like he, he encouraged that kind of, that kind of behavior. He, he engendered basically those strong feelings about him, even when he was alive. Um, and I just kind of, do you know what I think it yeah. like, like, tell me if this rings true. So for me, one of my favorite writers is uh, uh, Robert A. Heinlein. Yes, and 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 so you know, for me, Ro I find I find his writing like if I read a book that was one hundred percent written by me by someone that had all of my same opinions and perspective on the world, I would probably find that book very boring. Mm -hmm. For Robert A. Heinlein, he's everything I I I kind of don't agree with politically. He's a libertarian. Look at my Twitter. I've had plenty of snarky things to say about them. You know, he's sexist in ways he'll never understand. He's kind of a closet case and kind of homophobic at yeah. the same time. Well, but that's Hemingway in a nutshell. <laughs> right. But it's that dichotomy. And I, I love reading a book by someone I so strongly disagree with, but makes the arguments for his worldview in such a beautiful, poetic way. And I love being challenged by those ideas, if that makes sense. Is it at all like that? That does totally make sense. It's not quite my relationship with Hemingway, because I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of what I disagree with is the distortions of his opinions. And mm -hmm. I certainly do not share all of his opinions. Um, but I, I guess, for example, just speaking as a, a woman reader to that specific example, <laughs> there are a lot of cases where he has, in my opinion, very compellingly written a woman's perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and to just paint all of his work with this broad brush and say, Lady Brett Ashley is the villain of Sun Also Rises and Hemingway hated women and he didn't understand women, I think is very wrong. He, right, for one, Brett Ashley is an incredible character. Um, And it's that kind of thing where maybe at the time, wow, let me contextualize The Sun Also Rises in case people aren't familiar with it. Lady Brett Ashley is this uh, English woman who the main character of Sun Also Rises is in love with. She is engaged to a different man who she then cheats on with a bullfighter when they go to the fiesta in Spain. And the bullfighter is like this young, beautiful Spanish man. And she uh, he he's very uncorrupt. And then he kind of becomes corrupted by his contact with the English and the Americans. Um, and at the time, I can definitely see the character of Brett Ashley being read far more negatively than she comes off for a modern reader and but the thing is that the seeds of that characterization are there there's this whole scene where um ashley brett ashley's fiance mike campbell is talking to the other guys at like towards the end of the novel like when all the corruption and sex is happening and he's like you know brett's former husband used to make her sleep on the floor um and he threatened to shoot her with a gun and she would wake up in the night and take all the bullets out of the gun and hide them and I don't think that that perspective on a woman's life is <laughs> it, it, like that. That's sympathetic. That's something that's very real and very frightening. And it completely paints this character in a different light when you know, like, oh, this is a person who's left an abusive relationship. And yes, she's a she is drunk constantly and making a lot of big mistakes. But she's not an unrealistic character. She's not an unsympathetic character. She's not a hero, but she's certainly not a villain. Um, and I think that, that again, that's a perspective that I feel very permitted to have by it being, you know, a hundred year, almost a hundred years since that book was written. Um, you can have a lot more sympathy for people who might have come off as more villainous at the time, but the seeds of that sympathy were planted there by Ernest Miller Hemingway, born in 1899 <laughs> in Oak Park, Illinois. I, I just want to observe that you're more comfortable talking about Hemingway's past than your own. No. So there it is. <laughs> uh, all right. We're going to wrap up. Uh, got a lightning round for you. Uh, then we're going to close. Uh, favorite novel of all time? Sun Also Rises. Favorite band of all time? Oh, I got to panic and say either you 2 or Glass Animals. <laughs> all right. Uh, favorite movie of all time? Oh, gosh. <laughs> High School Musical 3. Really? If I were, right. on the sp- if I I were smart, I would I say The Seventh it. Samurai. <laughs> I haven't seen it. No, Drive angry. <laughs> no judgment here on this. I've got uh, bad taste only. <laughs> all right. Uh, favorite game of all time, console? Oh, gosh. Stardew Valley. Favorite? Well, that, that could be handheld. That could be my okay, next Okay, I'll question. save it. Um, what remains of Edith Finch? Okay. Okay. Legit. Simone, thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Uh, this has been this has been fun getting to this know you. This has been super fun. Sorry if my questions made you uncomfortable. No, not at all. It's just hard to figure <laughs> out how to talk about myself. <laughs>
<gasps> yeah, awesome. wow. Hey, thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Rocket. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please let us know, either via Twitter or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have ideas for more uh, fun bonus episode ideas like this that are evergreen and that don't involve quizzing Brianna Wu on her past, because we don't want to make anyone sad, uh, please drop them in wherever you want to contact us. Tweet them. Tweet them or put them in a review. Email them. I know some of y'all have our email. Um Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you're having a great week, and we will be back with you next week with another episode of Rocket, because this one is Terminated. Terminated. <laughs>